Our scripture reading today is from Luke 11, verse 1 through 13. Once Jesus was in a certain place praying. As he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Jesus said, This is how you should pray. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Give us each day the food we need, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation. Then, teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight, wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, A friend of mine has just arrived for a visit, and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, Don't bother me. The door is locked for the night, and my family and I are all in bed. I can't help you. But I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will give it up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. And so I tell you, keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. You fathers, if your children ask for a fist, do not give them do you not do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you simple people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Well, who spent the day yesterday watching old reruns of your favorite shows? Anybody? Hallmark Channel? Anybody? Got Don Sullivan? I would have guessed that one. Perhaps you spent a little time yesterday um, watching some college football. Oh, yes, we got a charismatic over here to my right. Well, one of the fascinating things about college football and sports in general is that there's such a coordinated effort that is made. If you watch any athletic event at any level and you see really a lack of effort, then you know that something is desperately wrong. Because you may not have the most talented folks in your, in your organization or on your team but if you have a decent coach, then the players should be motivated to go out there and just put everything they have into it, to really just pour themselves out, to leave everything on the field or on the court or whatever it may be. This morning, as we look at the passage that, that Cooper just read, I want us to think about this. What kind of effort are we making in our daily prayer lives? Every Christian, pretty much even every non-Christian would say, yeah, prayer, you know, that's, that's something you should do. That's, that's important. But if we were to look at, at our own efforts in this venture, in this realm of prayer, of talking to God and listening to God, what kind of effort are we putting forth? Do we really, really believe that prayer changes us? Do we really believe that prayer changes the world? 
we should not answer that question in the affirmative unless we could say, hey, I believe it and my prayer life would show you that I believe it. You look at the way that I pray and you'll know that I believe that prayer works. That I believe that there is a God who's listening, who cares, who's speaking, and who's desiring to have dialogue with me. Let's look at the text. Um, We kind of have an overview that's up on the board for you. But if you have your your Bible or your bulletin in hand, I would invite you to kind of look back at that. I want to take just a moment. This is a passage that we're incredibly familiar with half of it. And that would be kind of the, the, toward the beginning of the passage, uh, the content of the Lord's Prayer. In fact, if you flip your bulletin back one page, you see the Lord's Prayer printed there. Uh, at least for the two years I've been here, this has been a part of, I think, every Sunday morning worship service that this has been prayed as a part of our community prayer. And I don't know how long that's been going on, maybe a long, long, long time. So obviously, we're very familiar with the content of the Lord's Prayer, and I don't want to necessarily take a lot of time to look at that piece of the text. I want to look at the text at large, and then we'll hone in on kind of the second half. But if we look at the text overview, verse 1 tells us some important things. I left one thing off here, and that is right up front, it tells us that Jesus himself had been praying. That's important. In response to that, the disciples ask Jesus to teach them about prayer. And they let us know that John does this with his disciples. So, you know, you you do that for us. You teach us how to pray. Verses 2 through 4 give us the content of the Lord's Prayer. And, of course, you'll notice that the reading is the short version or the short form of the Lord's Prayer. The, The way that you and I pray it, you know, nobody created that like a decade ago or anything like that. That, that form of the prayer that we've been praying shows up in the Didache, which was first century, kind of the teachings of the apostles. So we've been praying it this way for about 2,000 years, but the oldest manuscripts that, that can be found are this short version, and so that's why most Bible publishers will, will go with the short version, just trying to be true to the oldest manuscripts they can get their hands on. So we get the content of the Lord's Prayer. Verses 5 through 8, uh, Jesus tells a story. And, and basically, it boils down to uh, someone needing help with hospitality, right? Someone comes in late. They're unprepared to serve food to this person, so they go next door, knock, bother them late at night, we're told, at the midnight hour, and tell them, hey, I've got somebody that's come in. I don't have any food prepared. Can you give me some, some food for this person? And uh, it's late, and the person says, no, 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 leave me alone. We're in bed, you know. Leave, leave us alone. And Jesus says, I tell you, not out of any kind of you know, uh, goodness of character, but just out of being pestered enough, if the person stands there and knocks on the door and just keeps knocking and just keeps knocking, eventually you and I would do the same thing. We would say, okay, here, take, take the bread, take the food, leave me alone. And so Jesus is teaching us something there about prayer, about the, the posture uh, with which we approach the Father in prayer, you could say that kind of the first few verses deal with the uh, deal with the the what, and then the stories that Jesus begins to uh, teach us how the how to pray, pray with boldness. 
Verses 9 and 10, he, he says, ask, seek, and knock. Those who ask are going uh, to receive, and if you seek, you'll find, and if you knock, the door will be open to you. Then he, then he tells another uh, kind of a story here about a child asking a parent for food. And, and Jesus says here that basically, even if you weren't a very good parent, he says, even, even though you're evil, you know how to give good gifts to your children. You wouldn't respond to a request for a fish by giving your child a snake. You wouldn't ask, if they asked for an egg, you wouldn't give them a scorpion. And so Jesus says this, and then he closes with this sentence. And this is really why I'm preaching out of this text today. This, this sentence just really grabbed me a few weeks ago as I was reading through the Gospel of Luke. He says, if, if, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? That's the last kind of phrase down there. Father gives the Holy Spirit to those who ask. Now, this passage jumped out at me a few weeks ago as I was reading through because never before had I really thought about the fact that the story begins with the disciples asking Jesus, teach us to pray. He gives them the Lord's Prayer, which 2,000 years later we're still using. Then he goes into these stories uh, about food, giving, giving your neighbor food when, when they need help with hospitality, giving your child the food that they ask for if they're hungry. And closes with this sentence about giving the Holy Spirit to those who ask. Uh, the disciples didn't ask specifically about the Holy Spirit. They asked about prayer. And Jesus told them some things about prayer, but then he concludes that teaching moment with this truth that the Father basically desires to give his children, the followers of Jesus, the Holy Spirit if they'll only ask. So I want us to look at this passage today and kind of break this down a little bit, not really spending much time on the content of the Lord's Prayer, but on these other two stories and why Jesus includes two stories about food along with his teaching about prayer that ultimately leads to receiving the Holy Spirit. What's going on here? Why does Jesus include all these variables in this teaching moment. We have another slide that talks a little bit about daily bread. Of course, one of the famous places in Scripture where we kind of get this phrase of daily bread is Exodus 16. And we're told in Exodus 16 that the people of God have been brought out from captivity, they've been brought out from Egypt, and they're in the wilderness, and they begin to complain and, and fret, really, uh, because you're, you're out in the middle of nowhere, and they're wondering, how are we going to survive? What are we going to eat? How are we going to, to survive this? <clears throat> in fact, some of them want to go back to, to Egypt, want to go back to slavery, uh, because their, their, their minds are, are of the mindset that, well, it was bad, but you know we were, we were living, and we had food to eat. And so it'd be better to do that than to wander around in the desert until you starve to death. That sounds like a pretty miserable, not the happy ending that they were looking for. So uh, God tells Moses that he's going to provide 
this food for them, this daily kind of bread, this manna. Of course, manna meaning what is it. Literally, that's what's in the uh, text for, for what is it. And this is, this is what God does for his people. This is an, about an omer's worth, an omer, that's what the Bible says, about an omer. It's about two quarts worth of manna. It's manna to you because you don't know what it is. So what is it? It's, it's manna. So this is what God says, this is what I'm going to do for my people Every morning you wake up and it'll be out there and you go and you gather it up. And it's pretty simple, really. But he says, here's the deal. Just get enough, get an omer per person. That's enough food for you for that day. Don't be greedy. Don't be knocking over your neighbor. There's enough there for you to get an omer. You don't need to store it up. You don't need a week's worth. You don't need a month's worth. You just get what you need for that day. And so uh, the Bible tells us that there were some people who kind of got out there and they were like, well, you know, you never know. Wouldn't be a bad idea to get a little bit extra. So they kind of got some extra. They got their omer. And then, you know, they started stuffing coat pockets full and hiding, hiding food. And, uh, and the next morning when they got up, it had, it had rotted. There were maggots in it. It was nasty. It was, it was not edible. And so Moses said, you know, I, I told you. what He told me, I told you, and that was to get an omer, and it would be good for the day. And it was to teach God's people that, you know, he was going to take care of them. Every day, he wasn't going to forget, every day. And then he said, now, on the one caveat to this is that on the sixth day, you do need to get, you need to get two omers, because I'm not making it on the, on the Sabbath. It won't be out there on the Sabbath. I'm not going to make it. You don't need to gather it. So the exception to the rule is that on the sixth day, you get two omers per person, and it will, it will last you through the Sabbath. You'll have enough for the two days. But God forgot to send an email reminder, so the people got up on the Sabbath morning, and they went out and looked, and there was nothing there. And it scared them to death. They thought, oh no, he stopped, it's over, it's done. There's no more manna, that's it, we're all going to starve to death. And Moses had to remind them, no, remember, it's the, it's the Sabbath. It'll start back on the next day. This was a real learning time for, for God's people. And so from early on, we get this concept kind of of daily bread, of daily manna. And then Jesus has a lot to say about food. Honestly, we don't have time to spend on all of that. But he says some very significant things, especially in the Gospel of John. Uh, he says to his disciples at one point, I have food or bread that you don't know about. And he was teaching his disciples that he was being sustained by more than just physical food. He was being sustained in his soul, in his spirit. The Father was, was ministering to him and keeping him strong. Of course, we know the story of the feeding of the multitude, 5,000 plus people in John chapter 6, where the, the fishes and the loaves are multiplied and they're more than enough for everyone. Later in that same chapter, Jesus, one of the famous I am statements in the Gospel of John, I am the living bread, or I am the bread of life. And of course, we know that at the Eucharist, Jesus takes the bread and breaks it and says, this is my body, broken for you. Eat this 
in remembrance of me. So there's a lot in Scripture about about bread, about our daily sustenance, about God providing for us. We know that in this passage, as we talked about just a few moments ago, that Jesus had been praying, and that provoked the disciples to ask him, teach us to pray. And if you go back and look through the Gospels, Jesus was a person of prayer. I mean, he he withdrew to lonely places. It tells us over and over he would go up on the mountaintops. Before he did anything really important, he was always praying. I mean, just praying, praying, praying. A real person of prayer. And so I think he took it very seriously when his disciples said to him, teach us to pray. I think that we should pay a lot of attention in terms of understanding what our prayer life should look like. We've incorporated the the content of the Lord's Prayer into just about all of our Sunday morning worship services here at Brookwood, but what about the second half of this teaching? We've been studying on Wednesdays, uh, lunch and learn, we've been going through A.W. Tozer's book, The Pursuit of God. And it's just a fascinating little classic book. If you you haven't read it, I would encourage you to, to get that and read it. But really his whole... A concept, what he's arguing for in that book is that we should be hard after God. That we should desire God uh, to such a depth that we pursue him earnestly. And of course we know James 4.8 tells us that if we draw near to God, he draws near to us. God is not in the business of hiding from his people or, or, or playing hide and seek or running away from us, but He makes it very clear, if you make an attempt to to come toward me, to learn about me, to worship me, then he comes and meets us in that place. Let's talk a little bit about the culture of food. And this is important because a lot's changed in the last 2,000 years. And we could say, yes, medicine's changed a lot in the last 2,000 years. Transportation has changed a lot in the last 2,000 years. Uh, technology has changed a lot in the last 2,000 years. Well, why don't you think about how much food has changed in the last 2,000 years. Jesus says a lot about food in the scriptures, and I, I've not taken a lot of time to think about the reality that over 2,000 years, the way we deal with food and think about food and, and use food is significantly different than it was in this context. So I want us to just think for a moment a little bit about when Jesus talks about Food uses these stories to teach us about prayer and the Holy Spirit. Uh, what are some differences that we might be aware of? One of, the, one of the first things we would say is that food in this context was prepared daily. And if you've been to a third world country, you probably see the use of food more like it was in Jesus' time. Where someone has a simple uh, hot stones or something where they're baking, baking bread on it. And they do that, sometimes that's, that's, their, that's their work. In a lot of third world places, there's just little family-owned, not like big restaurants like we have here, but they just might have a table out by the sidewalk and you could come by and buy, buy a piece of bread from them. They didn't have, you know, we, we are accustomed now to huge pantries that are probably stocked with, you know, weeks worth of food, or maybe even more than that, a refrigerator. I think it's pretty safe to say we all have refrigerators in our home. Maybe even a second refrigerator. Maybe a standalone freezer where you can keep things for, for quite some time. 
We have grocery stores very near us that we can go to that they did not have. We even have convenience stores that are even closer into us, perhaps, than the grocery stores. Restaurants of every kind, one of the great parts of Birmingham, right? All these amazing restaurants, really, really wonderful. Well, for us, when we talk about give us today our daily bread, that almost sounds to us like a a prayer of poverty, really, right? That sounds like something a homeless person might say. Lord, wake up this morning, please give me some food to eat today. I don't pray that prayer in the morning because I know that we went to Trader Joe's or whatever. There's stuff in the pantry. I saw it last night before I went to bed. I ate it last night before I went to bed. Shouldn't do that. But I know it's there. I know the fridge is stocked. And even if it wasn't, I could run out very quickly and retrieve food. So I don't wake up praying, Lord, please today provide my daily bread. So it sounds to us more like a prayer of poverty than something that you and I would pray and mean it each and every day. And then, of course, there are soup kitchens and there are food distribution ministries that are wonderful. And we could almost look at those parts of our culture and say, are those kind of standing answers to this prayer for the poor? A wonderful ministry, obviously, feeding the hungry. I did a little uh, research on kind of the the dietary, the the customs, what first century uh, Middle Eastern diet might have been. And, and of course, it did include a lot of of bread. It was a very very much bread-based, plant-based, not a lot of sugars, so therefore they didn't have to use a lot of Colgate and, and toothpaste. Uh, A little bit of honey might have been kind of the sweetener that they would use. Vegetables, whatever was in season. Fruits that were in season. Meats, not as common, but a lot of fish. Uh, And when we think about if that was kind of the ordinary common meal of the day, then it would make a lot of sense that that's what the little boy had to offer at the feeding of the 5,000. That that's what Jesus cooked on the the coast post-resurrection when he comes back to his disciples as they're fishing. They come in, and he has fish and bread. He's cooking it on hot coals there on the beach. Fruits, nuts, locust. Can't go there. I'm not down with that, but, but that's, they, that was a little snack for them, some locust. Olive oil instead of butter. You know, the, 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 the diet looked differently. The availability, the access to food was different. So I think that's important to keep in mind as we hear these stories about food and what that might teach us, if you've been in a third world setting, then it might mean more to ask for daily bread each day. Here's a question that I want to pose to us, and and this deals with the Holy Spirit and kind of our daily prayer lives, and, and, and this is it that's up on the screen. Are we praying daily for the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in our lives? And this kind of comes back to, you know, our theology of the Holy Spirit. Most of us Baptists believe that you receive the Holy Spirit. That's kind of, that's a part of your salvation experience. You recognize Christ as Lord. You confess your sins. And you ask the the Spirit, the, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit, to come into your heart and to live. And we become a temple of the Holy Spirit. And so the... And, and, and I'm not saying that's wrong, but I'm saying if that's our theology, the temptation might be to just kind of have a one and done. Well, yeah, I prayed that prayer when I was eight years old, so I'm not asking for the Holy Spirit anymore. But we need to certainly be aware of what is the Spirit's function. I mean, what, what is the person of the Holy Spirit about? And are we praying and asking that that work would be done in our lives, in our hearts, 
on a regular basis? Are we praying daily that the Holy Spirit would comfort us? That the Holy Spirit would comfort those around us who are going through difficult times? Are we praying daily that the Holy Spirit would teach us? That the Holy Spirit would, would give us wisdom, would counsel us when we're having to make important decisions? Here's one that we're probably not too good at. I, confessionally, I'll say, are we praying and asking for conviction? Well, no, why would you ask for that? Well, it's a work of the Holy Spirit. Part of our, part of our rhythm of being followers of Christ is that we confess that we, we fall short, right? We mess up. We, we sometimes don't do the things that we should do, and we sometimes do the things we shouldn't do. Would we rather just kind of not worry about that stuff? That's really unpleasant. I don't really want to think about that. Or are we inviting the Holy Spirit, if there is any sin in me, show me what it is. Open my eyes to it so that I can confess it and, and, and move forward in my maturity. What about empowering? Are we praying that the Holy Spirit would empower us today for what we've got? Every meeting you have, everything you do at work, at home, Every conversation that we have that's, that's of importance to us, are we bathing it in prayer? Are we asking the Holy Spirit to, to, to give us the strength for the day? Sometimes we just get tired, right? And sometimes we get sick. Uh, whatever it is that we're feeling, are we asking the Holy Spirit to empower us so that we can be faithful that day? Giftedness. We talk about the gifts of the Spirit. Are we asking for those or is it just kind of like, well, you know... I wasn't gifted that way, so I don't have to worry about singing in the choir because God didn't give me with a good voice. Well, if God can do anything, maybe he can take your less than you know, great voice and make it good enough to sing in the, in the choir at Brooklyn Baptist Church. Keith's not here. I'm not trying to kiss up to Keith, but pray a prayer of giftedness. What is our giftedness? Are we utilizing it? Spirit, help me to, to use what you've gifted me to do. I don't need to be up here singing solos. You didn't gift me to do that. But what did the Spirit gift me to do? And am I serving the Lord in that way? What about renewal? We need that. 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want or I have everything I need if you put it in the affirmative. Makes me lie down in green pastures. Leaves me beside still or quiet waters. He restores my soul. Guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Restores our soul. That's the work of God. If we're feeling like we're on E when it comes to, I just don't want to read the Bible. That's okay. But we need to pray and ask God to give us a desire to get back in his word. I'm just on empty. I don't, I don't want to pray. There's, I don't know what I should pray. I'm not interested in prayer. I don't have a desire for prayer. That's okay. But what we need to do the very next moment is pray and ask the Spirit to give us a desire for prayer. I don't want to worship. I'd rather just have another Saturday. Well, then we need to pray and ask the Spirit to help us to want to worship. I don't want to love my neighbor. Well, then we need to pray and ask the Spirit to help us want to love our neighbor. Wherever we're falling short, that's where the Spirit is, I really believe, waiting on us to ask, and then God begins to do amazing works. I want to kind of drawing toward a close here, but I want to take a moment and, and say a little bit about the story of the prodigal son. You probably are familiar with this story. I'm not going to retell the whole thing, but we know the younger son goes out, blows all that he has, comes back kind of 
in humility, the father goes out and um, restores, restores his sonship, right? Get me the ring, get me the robe, get me the sandals, kill the fattened calf. I want to focus on the older brother who comes back in from a hard day's work and hears the sounds of a party and calls someone to him and says, what, what, what's going on? Why is there music and, and what, what's the party? And they say, oh, well, it's, it's wonderful. Your brothers come home. Well, it wasn't so wonderful, apparently, to, to the elder brother. We know the story. The father comes out to talk to the older brother. He wants him to come in and join the party, right? So he goes out to him, and he says, come in and celebrate with us. You know, your brother was, was gone, and now he's home. He, he, he was dead, and now he's alive, so we've got to celebrate. And does the brother, you know, jump in there and, and start partying? No, here's what he says, and it's very interesting. He says, I've slaved for you my whole life. Now, right up front, that, I think that's a problematic way to begin the conversation. Because it's not about, well, Dad, you know, I, I love you and I love sharing in this work with you. It's, I slave. Slavery, I mean, that's kind of a joyless enterprise. I mean, that's kind of, that's, you know, you're under compulsion there. I've slaved for you my whole life, and you, can you just almost see him pointing his finger? You have never even given me a goat to celebrate with my friends. Now the father says, son, everything I've got is yours. You know, come in and celebrate. And then Jesus doesn't finish that story. So it's kind of left up to us how we, how we finish that story. But here's what I want to ask about that story. When the son says, you never even gave me a goat. I have to believe that the reason that the father never gave him a goat is because he never asked for one. Why do I believe that? Well, because his younger brother came and asked him for everything he could have. Half the, I, want my, I want my part of the inheritance. And the dad gave it to him. Now, you might say, well, he shouldn't have done that. That was foolish. He should have said, no way. You, here, have a little stipend. Have a little week's allowance. But I'm not giving you everything because you might be an idiot and go out and blow it, which is exactly what he did. But the son asked for it, and he gave it to him. So I have every bit of confidence that if the older brother had ever come to his dad and said... I want to have a party and I want to have some friends over and, and can we kill a, a goat and have this party? I think the dad would have said, sure. He didn't have a party because one, he didn't have any friends or two, he didn't want to celebrate or, or both. We have not because we ask not. I want to recommend something to you. This morning, if you've not read this book or you haven't read it lately, Richard J. Foster's book on prayer, it, it's probably in the library. Marlon, do you know, is it in there? If it's not, we'll get it in there. He wrote Celebration of Discipline, a classic. He followed up with prayer. Incredible. He divides this book into three sections. The entire third section is about prayer in the Holy Spirit. Prayer in the Holy Spirit. And there's so much in here that's just absolutely Amazing. 
in his, in his chapter on intercessory prayer, listen to this, to this quote. It is God's desire to bring individuals and families into saving faith. It is God's desire to bring people off of addictions to drugs, sex, money, status. It is God's desire to deliver people from racism, sexism, nationalism, consumerism. It is God's desire to harvest cities, bringing whole communities into gospel fidelity. Organized corporate intercessory prayer is a crucial means for the fulfillment of these yearnings in the heart of God. He says, prayer is a way of loving others. Prayer is a way of loving others. And he says in here, if you don't do that, he says, I suggest begin by praying for an increase in your love for others. Marvelous. I could just read, just read, 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 read. The whole book is absolutely outstanding. And I would encourage you, if you really want to grow in your prayer life, I'll say this. You will not be able to avoid it if you read this book. I really think it has so much rich, richness to teach us about our prayer lives. I want to close this morning with, with a challenge. And the challenge that I, that I give you this morning is to take a need. Maybe there's a person that you know who's having a difficult time health-wise or whatever, relationally, it, it doesn't matter, what, whatever the case may be, I really encourage you, commit to pray for that person or that need for 40 days. I was reading an author recently, and he said, if we would just pray for something, you know, and do it steadfastly for three days, we'd be amazed at what would happen. But I do believe there's something significant about praying for 40 days. I would encourage you to Identify a need or a person, put it in your phone at 5 a.m., a repeat calendar in your appointment in your phone, so there shouldn't be anything much before that. If you get up before 5 and you've got things in your calendar, good for you. Make it 3 a.m. But put it in your phone for 40 days and pray every morning. You'll be surprised at how quickly when you wake up, the first thing that you think about is that need, and you pray for it. If it's a person, let them know, I'm going to pray for you for 40 days. And when that 40 days is up, let them, today's the 40th day. I want you to know I've been praying for you for 40 days. Now, you may say, well, is this some kind of little gimmicky thing? Well, listen, I'm just saying, if we believe that prayer is serious business, it's the work of the church, right? We believe that God hears it, that he likes to be asked things. Jesus says it right here, ask, seek, knock. Ask, seek, knock. Teach us about prayer. Okay, here's the Lord's Prayer. Now get this. Persevere, be bold, do it every day. Press on, press on, press on. I think we'll be absolutely uh, astounded that there will be some kind of progression, some kind of revelation, some kind of breakthrough that will happen in those 40 days. You may say, well, I'm not, you know, all that holy. Well, listen... God says that we're supposed to pray and ask. Apparently, he likes to be asked. Anna Carson. Anna Carson, you hear me? Daddy's going to talk about you for one second. The other night at the dinner table, and I'm highlighting this because it so infrequently happens with, with some other people around the table. I won't name them. <laughs> but she said before she got up, Daddy, may I be excused? Now, that was precious to me. 
And like I said, I don't hear a lot of that around the dinner table at the Dempsey's. But I thought it was sweet that she asked. And I said, no, finish your green beans. <laughs> no, I, I excused her from the table. But God really looks at us like his, his, I mean, we are his sons and daughters. He loves us. He treasures us. And when we ask him something, one of two things, either he's going to give it or he's going to change the shape of that prayer to become what he wants it to be. I'm not encouraging you to, you know, pray for a new car for 40 days. But if you need a means of transportation, pray for it for 40 days, and I bet he can figure out a way, whether it's a new car or some other means by which he can meet that need. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we give you thanks today for the gift of prayer, for the, uh, for the incredible responsibility uh, that, we, that we have to talk with you. The invitation is incredible, God. You are the uh, creator of the universe. And you desire to hear from me, from each person that's sitting in these pews this morning. You desire that we would talk with you, that we would share our hearts with you, that, that we would pray for those that we, that we love, that we would lift up needs to you, that we would ask you, that we would seek after your will in, in every situation, that we would knock on doors with boldness, Lord, that we would persevere, that we would not just kind of uh, with some lukewarm spirit pray about something once and then move on, but that if we really care, if we really mean it, if we really want it, if we really love someone, that, that they matter to us and they're going through a difficult time, then we ought to be consistent in praying for them. We can't pray with this kind of Uh, focus and emphasis for every need that we're aware of in the world because the needs are overwhelming, God. And so I don't think that you expect us to to pray about everything in the world, but we do help us, God, to focus in on particular people, particular things, and really give them uh, extra energy, God. And we pray that out of your goodness... Not the worthiness of our prayers because our prayers are, are frail, frail and, and feeble, but that you would teach us to pray, that you would give us the words, that you would give us the patience, that you'd give us the, the wisdom, you'd open our eyes to see the ways in which you are answering our prayers. Sometimes we're very one-dimensional, God, forgive us. We pray and we're expecting it to look just like we want it to look. Give us wisdom to discern how you're answering the prayers of our hearts. We love you and thank you for this time of worship. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This morning as we close in song, I invite you, we'll stand and sing and uh, the altar's open for prayer. If you've never asked Christ, never asked Christ for forgiveness, uh, nothing makes the Lord more uh, delighted than than a sinner who comes home. I mean, Scripture says that over and over, right? Um, If you are interested in membership here at, at Brookwood, baptism, Um, or have another prayer request, we invite you to come this morning as we sing. Would you stand with us?